We bless your name, King. So, like, um, I, I wanted to do this first service, and I forgot to, but, um, like, especially, like, so since we're, we're on Facebook, like, it's important. We've got, like, I don't know if you guys know Kathy Little or not, but, it, like, if you do, she, like, she had to go back to the hospital uh, late last night, like, her foot, her foot started flaring up again, and so, um, like, let's just, I'd, I'd like, like, since we're communicating across, like, you know, like, the internet, it's the reason we have it, by the way. Like a lot of times we like to, we like to like call something evil that God gave us a highway for. Like it's, it's, it's us. Like we are the ones that pollute the internet. But he made, us, made it possible that we would invent it for this express purpose. So like, like would you guys like do something kind of weird with me for a second? Like would you stand up and turn toward the camera? Like whether or not Kathy's watching, it doesn't matter. And like, put, place your hands up. Place your hands up toward, toward the camera. Like, these are hands of blessing. Like, like, for those of us that don't know, like, these are hands, holy hands of blessing. So, Kathy, just in Jesus' name, we just proclaim healing over your foot right now. We declare peace in the hospital room that you're in right now. Pray for... Miraculous healing, ligaments and tendons, uh, flesh to miraculously come together by the power of the Spirit right now in Yeshua's name. In the name of salvation, we declare that. Amen. Thank you, guys. Yeah, let's have a seat. Um, guys, first, like, also, we didn't do this, but man, like, can we bless these two? Like, this is a family worshiping up here, like, like beautiful. Like, and, like, and, and we don't, like, like, we don't applaud the, the people behind it, but the, like the, the fact that it's a family, like singing about Jesus so beautifully to you, girl. Like your voice is a gift. You are a gift right here, man. Like you're like, get out of here, man. Like, uh, yeah, guys, uh, morning. Um, uh, so happy new year to you. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I was just, I was talking to Dustin before, before service started. Also, I think, uh, maybe after, Dustin wants to share some stuff with you, maybe after the message, but um, yeah, here, cool, cool, yeah. I was talking with him, and like, and he was like, he's like, what's that? Oh, we skipped the video, shoot, that's okay, it's okay. We will, um, after, yeah, we'll, we'll do the video after, after, yeah. Morning, Dustin.
How'd you, how'd, how'd, you, uh, how'd you kick that off? Like, you, you said uh, not, not kick off. Yeah, we're not, we're not kicking off 2021. Uh, we're kicking out. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 cool. Yeah, I like that. So, um, yeah, Tone Loke, if you wouldn't mind uh, playing that video, this is something that will be real helpful in the year, the year to come. Like, pay close attention, download this thing. Cool. Yeah. Like for real, like that app is crazy. Like they have, like there are like illustrated, like, you know, the Bible project, you ever heard of that? It's like, yeah, it's awesome, man. Like, so that, that, that stuff, it, it comes with the, um, it's part of the app. So like when you hit scripture that is impossible to cipher, you know, like the Bible app guys or the, uh, the uh, what's it called? The Bible project. Thank you. Yeah. Um, those guys come along, they explain it really tangibly. Anyway. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So we're going to be talking about, like, this, this year, starting off the year, like, the, we're in a series called Pro Tips. In other words, like, tangible, practical ways to apply the Scripture to our lives so that we're not just Sunday Christians, weekend warriors that just come in, we profess things, then we go live in the rest of the week like we're everybody else, you know? Like, that's, um, this week, um, we're going to start it off, like, uh, the title of this sermon, Matt Miller wrote this uh, sermon series. But he gives, like, as, as head pastor over all of New City, he gives us freedom to, to, to work within that, that uh, context. And I'm really grateful for that because something I'm, I'm very passionate about is at the end of the year, the concept of repentance, which isn't like beating yourself up, it's just turning to the Lord. That's it. And then starting the year off, I like beginning, like we're beginning today. It's called right living. Like, what we do around New Year's is we make resolutions, you know, we make these, like, we swear we're going to do something differently, and we just set ourselves up to kind of drop the ball down the road. Like, like what we're going to learn about right living, another word for right living is righteousness. 
And they, like, so there's an, like, an older term for righteousness that you guys might know, uh, right standing before God, right? It doesn't say right going before God. But like what, what we do is like we take our lives and what we, we take our knowledge and then we like to point that knowledge at people or like all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to practice this without having experienced the heart connection to what I've learned. So in other words, we haven't taken knowledge and translated it to wisdom. Like wisdom is vindicated by her works, right? Like in other words, like when I walk out the gospel from a place of love, it proves the gospel to be true. Whereas if I walk out the gospel from a place of judgment, it negates those words. Okay, that's a whole other. Uh, so right living. All right. Um, in case you guys don't know, like this is my least favorite place position in the room right here. Like I would rather be at at, at a coffee table or eat, eating a meal with you guys. But I, I'm grateful for the teachers that that we do have, like Casey, Daniel Smith. Like I'm I'm grateful for the teachers, and I, I have a lot of respect for people that teach from a stage. It's not for me, so uh, bear with me. Um, Okay, so before we get into the scripture for the week, let's begin by asking the Father, how might we live a life that he takes delight in day after day? Like not how may I live a moral life, that's keeping score, that's not love. Like how may I bring pleasure and honor and glory to the Father with my life? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord. I ask, I declare this over the first service. Lord, illuminate. God, you say everything in the dark will be brought into light at your coming. So Lord Jesus, thank you for standing in this room. Thank you for being the light of the world. God, I ask that you reveal in our hearts what you want to prune from us today and restore in us the joy of our salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so the passage um, we're going to read today, it's in Mark. If you've got your word with you, it's Mark chapter 9, verse 42 through 50. A um, little context behind this, like, because as Christians and in American Christianity, what we fall prey to is pulling Scripture out of context and just slapping something on, like, on our lives. Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Doesn't mean I can't, but the, the reason it was written was actually... Uh, it, it had to do with financial situations. So I can do, I can survive on a little, I can survive on a lot, is what Paul said. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what we do is we think, oh, I can run through that wall right now, which if he calls you to do it, yeah, you, you're right, you can. All I'm saying, like, let's get the context. So going into this year, read for context. Why was it written? Who was it written to? And how does this impact my life? That should be the last step we take. Okay, so this passage, um, it's spoken right after Jesus finished teaching his disciples about humility and what it means to welcome those who are less mature. Like we have a tendency, like because of our own, my own immaturity, I don't want to be around people that remind me of me. And so I'll, I'll, cut, I'll cut out those that are less mature. What that says is I don't know what it means to be in a family. My children, I don't expect them to know what I know or act like I act. In fact, I treasure the fact that they don't yet. 
I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay, so um, what it means to welcome those who are less mature. He told them not to hinder ministries that weren't the same as theirs. Ouch. Mark 9, 42 through 50. But whoever causes the downfall of these little ones who believe in me, before I go on, I, I need to point out, like, the little ones here are in this room with us. Like he's talking about, he put a child on his lap, Jesus did. And so he had like a context in his verbiage. But what is he talking about, little ones? He's talking about those that are less mature. Maybe they aren't eating meat yet. Milk. My, my buddy Daniel, he says, he says it really cool. He says, sometimes milk is the meat. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the basics and connect it to our heart. The Hebrew word for knowledge in a heart-based uh, situation is, is da'af. It means experiential knowledge. I have stood in the presence of love. That's how I know what love is. I can't read about it and then live that. I can't. Not possible. Okay. The little ones are here in this room with us, and sometimes they're in the mirror. I just want to, like, let's start with humility, Okay. But whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes your downfall, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, this is Jesus quoting the end of the book of Isaiah in chapter 66. This is, it's either the last verse or the second to last verse. And if your foot causes your downfall, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. The unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to, your downfall, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Not one of us is exempt, is what he's saying. And what that word for salted, it means seasoned. And the word for fire, it's trials. Every one of us will be seasoned with the hardships of our lives. Salt is good, but if salt should lose its flavor, in other words, lest we forget, if that salt loses its flavor, how can you make it salty? In other words, remember that we all suffer through trials. Uh, uh, a pastor uh, and mentor of mine, Dan Sutherland, said, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There's no one greater than anyone else. It doesn't matter how big somebody's head is. Okay, so what uh, to you guys, oh, and then it, fin it finishes with this. This is like the most important part of the passage for me. Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. This isn't a singular walk. We weren't made for, uh, for isolation. So, like, I'm going to ask this. I would appreciate a response, not to be browbeaty. If you tuned out, it's okay. But if you haven't, what sticks out to you in this passage? Tell me. Yeah, me too. What else? Like, what stands out? What grabbed you? Like, because what the Spirit does is He convicts us word by word and line by line. And not all of us have the same conviction. 
So for one guy to stand up on a stage and tell you what, how you're supposed to think is busted. What is the Spirit saying to you about this passage? What do you say? Discipline yourself? Yes. 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 I would say, I would, not, to, not, to, not to be argumentative, but I would say within the context of family. Like, so we were meant, like our discipline comes from the love of the people and the God that surround us. You know what I mean? So like our discipline becomes an act of love. Like Paul said, I, beat, I strike a blow to my body, right? He's talking about training. So there's training and then there is existence. I'm not going to work out all day like if I'm working out, you know? So that's when I strike the blow to my body. I work hard in those moments. But dude, outside of that, it is in the context of family. And I'll get to that. So like this is what sticks out to me is like two things. Whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believe in me. So in other words, the less mature or other ministries miraculously setting people free in Jesus' name, this is what was happening. And so Jesus when he said, when he said like, any of these little ones, he was referring to another ministry that the disciples came to him. They said, they're driving out demons in your name, but they're not one of us. Like, why don't we stop it? We do that all the time. We look at another church like, ah, no, they're doing it wrong. They're the, they're, they're, uh, their denomination is different than ours. We can't track with that. Belagna. Jesus said, don't. Because he followed that up. He said, if they, they can't perform a miracle and then follow that by speaking ill of me. Jesus' words, not, not, a, not a dude, some unlearned guy behind a pulpit. Whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believe in me, that sticks out to me. And then I, I would say three other things. So, so he, what was the phrase that was repeated? It was the unquenchable fire, right? And the worm that doesn't die. Like sometimes we get locked onto the damnation part because that's, we're aware of our own brokenness. And so what we do is we like to project that on somebody else that we can see that is a little more apparently broken or, or visibly broken than we are. Um, but look what he said. He says, said, if your hand causes your downfall, he said, if your foot causes your downfall, if your eyes cause your downfall. Like those three phrases just jumped out at me. And so I started, I went into, I used the, uh, the Blue Letter Bible app and I look at what the Greek says. Casey calls them Greek freaks. That's, that's me, you know. If your hand causes you to fall away, the word for hand there is, is uh, hair. I, don't, I'm, I might be butchering that. It means by the help or agency of anyone, by means of anyone. Also, uh, this word is applied to God, symbolizing his might, activity, power in creating the universe, in upholding and preserving, in punishing, in determining, and controlling the destinies of men and women. Like, how many times do we assume those postures? Like, how many times am I going to allow my knowledge or my life to, where does it say, determine and control the destinies of men and women? Like, like somebody else's salvation rests on my shoulders. Like, when people say, I led this man to the Lord, like, we need, like, a big... Slice of humility. Jesus calls people unto himself. And we either partner in love or we stand in religion. Okay, so by the help or agency of one. Uh, uh, I read all that. It says, okay, so I said, in other words, we are assuming God's position with our help. 
We do it all the time. We find the wounded one. And we help as hard as we can to change them because we can't bear looking at the wound in the mirror. Also, uh, that word for fall away, it's scandalizo. So if your hand should cause you to fall away, scandalizo, it's where we get the word scandal, obviously. It's a scandal to just throw our help at people coming from an unhealthy place. We're quick to place ourselves in the position of the martyr when what we're encountering is the fruit of our controlling nature. It's painful because we're trying to be God. The scandalous fall lacks the humility and love of a martyr's suffering. Martyrs went to their death because they loved severely. And if your foot causes you to fall away, if your foot causes scandal, the foot, the Greek for that is pus. It means uh, a foot both of men or beast. That's referencing the dominant posture of one putting his foot on a vanquished foe. You know the, the picture, like the, the guy dead, the other guy stands on him, you know, with a knife or whatever. That is like the foot reference. How many times as Christians do we wait for somebody to buckle? Some well-known pastor to buckle, and then we gloat. It also says it's of people listening to their teacher's instruction or being at his feet, like disciples, disciples of men. So I want, I want us to ask ourselves, is my walk more accurately depicted as the warrior gloating in triumph over the death of his enemy? Do I place my faith in the words of teachers rather than the voice of the Spirit through his word? Am I reading the word through the lens Jesus afforded me by his Spirit, or am I borrowing from someone no less broken than me? I promise you 100% any, anything that I'm saying right now is not from me because I am broken. And I, am, I rejoice that I am. He can't get glory from my put-togetherness. <laughs> and if the eye causes you to fall away, if your eye causes scandal, the eye, ophthalmos, the eye by implication, vision, figuratively envy, like we are a culture that is, our view is horizontal. Like all of our knowledge comes from men and women. All of our feelings and like our, the determination of what our, our action is supposed to be, men and women, very learned men and women. How many times is our vision locked in where it's supposed to be? Mine, I'm saying that to me first. Like I mentioned this first service, like because this is kind of a heavy message, but I need you guys to know that it's coming from a place that it was given to me first. Anybody that stands on a stage and tells you something and they haven't received it at first is a liar. So ask, I want to ask the question for myself. What am I using to calibrate my vision? Is it the heart of the Father? Is it justice, mercy, and adoption? A.K.A. Righteousness? Or is it the hearts of men? And we know that Jeremiah 17.9 says this. It says, the heart is more deceitful 
than anything else. I'm not saying that to be cranky. Sometimes we need to look at the wound to address it. The heart is more deceitful than anything else. This train of thought brings to mind a passage in Isaiah in chapter 64, verses 5 and 6. It's heavy. It says this, You welcome the one who joyfully does what is right. And I ask this in the first service because it's something that I have to process. I've asked the Lord for joy. Sometimes when I'm functioning from my own strength, I am joyless. How many times do we function without joy? How many times do we do what's right without joy? You welcome the one who joyfully does what is right. They remember you in your ways. What we have a tendency to do is we remember us in our ways, in our own righteousness. But we have sinned and you are angry. We will remain in your ways and be saved. In other words, this is a repentant, humble heart. We need humility. I need humility. We will remain in your ways and be saved. All of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. There's another translation that says, our righteousness is filthy rags. Now, it's not saying that we aren't supposed to, to live a life that is after the Father, but that life lived after, after the Father does not determine our posture. Like, I don't earn anything by doing well, doing right. I don't earn anything by loving. In fact, it's counterfeit unless I've first received righteousness and love. It's fake. Our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. Whose righteousness do we function by? All of us wither like a leaf. Our iniquities carry us away like the wind. What this passage is doing is not just a hammer to hit everybody in the head. This passage contrasts our righteousness with true righteousness and what is available to us. What did Jesus say to do if our hands, feet, and eyes cause scandalizo? Cut them off. I'm reminded of John 15. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. It's a very loving passage. He's talking about life that pours from him and that he grafted us into that life in love. But he couples that with, he says, any branch that does not produce fruit will be cut off. Now that's, that's, that's a macro statement, but I want us to look at this from a micro statement. So any branch in me that does not produce fruit, I want to sever it from my life. Be it a person, be it an activity, be it a thought, I want to cut it out of my life. I lived under the, the, the bonds of addiction for years. We're all addicts, by the way. Every one of us. He says to remain in him. Like so John 15, he said, remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Like it's outside of our power. It's not my righteousness. It's his and he is gracious enough to graft me into his. 
I don't want to close out today. So like we're coming to the end of our time. I don't want to close it out like leaving this real heaviness on us. Like this is the beginning of a new year. So there's so I want to encourage your resolutions, you know? I want to encourage heart postures and and like new breath into our relationships and our homes. I don't want to leave these on us because Jesus allowed himself to be crushed under this weight so we didn't have to be. What I'm trying to get at is the fact that our hands and our feet and our eyes were given to us not so that we would act out our own version of righteousness but that we might build one, one another up in love. Like our only, our only active choice as somebody that calls themselves a follower of Jesus is to love. Specifically, agape. It means to prefer someone else to myself. Like we are not devoid of that as Christians. We're very self-centered. Even our salvation is all about like the end game is getting our ticket into heaven. Miss the point. There is no love in that statement. Like, if I don't pour my lives out for you or the people that, that Jesus gave me, I'm not loving. Sorry for the sidebar. It brings glory to him that we would use our giftings, use our, like, everything we've been given, like our eyes, our feet, like our lives, our breath. If we use those to build one another up as a family, like, that brings glory to him. He takes pleasure in that. And it's rather than leaving stumbling blocks for ourselves and for others. See, when we cast judgment and act as the one true judge, like it's not somebody else that we're like, gotcha. Like we actually stumble over our own mess in those moments. Because it doesn't matter what people see, it matters what he sees. And he sees our hearts, or nobody else can see those. And he knows how deceitful This heart is, but he also knows that he has softened it enough to place his spirit in it and make it live. Have salt, Jesus said, have salt among yourselves. Among yourselves. And be at peace with one another. Word for peace used here, I forget what it is in the Greek, but it's it's defined as cultivating and keeping peace. Make peace in your homes. And that's going to look like self-sacrificial activity. Like it's going to look like, well, I don't prefer to have this conversation right now, but I'm going to. It's going to look like I don't really feel like quitting this thing, but I'm going to. It's going to look like I'm going to hold my tongue in love because I don't have peace about this word that I'm about to share. Cultivating and keeping peace. This passage is relational in nature. So often, like, but what, the way we think about it is like, I just got to get my stuff right. That's, that heart is awesome, man. But this is about maturing as a family and being okay with being immature. So long as we have somebody else that has maturity to come alongside us. Like, we, are, we were meant to be family. That means we pick each other up in our messes. We love one another enough to spend time with one another outside of this room. We're made for family. So I want to ask you this. Like, who has input in your life? 
Like, I'm not saying like a podcast or some teacher on the other side of the earth. What tangible person with breathing lungs and skin and faults has access to your life? I'm not talking about a mentor. I'm talking about experiential knowledge, sharing life. Who has that voice in your life? Are the people you give yourself are the people you give yourself to committed to affirming the truth of your identity in Jesus or are they committed to conforming you into their own image? Sometimes that looks like a pulpit. Because the relationship that God pours out freely was not received from the pulpit. Who has input into your life? Conversely, whose life are you pouring into? There's not one of us here that is devoid of of the beauty of both of those. Do you bring life or death? Are you affirming the truth of their identity in Jesus? Or are you focused on, am I focused on impressing someone with my knowledge? Paul said knowledge puffs up. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about experiential knowledge. He's talking about scholarly pursuit for the sake of scholarly pursuit so that I can sound like a scholar who pursues scholarly pursuits, you know? Sorry. (laughs) I got into a feedback loop for a second. Um, If you don't have either of these, if you don't have one of these, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, let this be like a wake-up call this year. If you don't have one of those, you need both. I need both. I'm lost without them. And I'm not just talking about my wife and my kids at home because they are my treasure and my joy. But there's something to be said about a brother who will stand with me, who is not obligated by blood. Like my wife and my children, those, those are gifts to me. Like even Moses, so Moses, and I didn't say this first service, Moses in Exodus 17, he needed two men that he trusted to come alongside him because, because if he dropped his hands during battle, Israel would have lost. And his hands started failing him. And so he needed people close to him that knew him to pick his hands back up because he didn't have the strength to do it. Moses, the Torah guy. So let me encourage you, If you don't have these, you're missing out on a whole portion of life set aside for you as a gift from the giver of the best gifts. We chase after these things that we can earn. Those aren't the best gifts. Like the impossible gifts are. And they look like relationship. So I want to leave you with this passage. I'm sorry, if this is really heavy, I'm thankful and I'm sorry at the same time. Like, because I like... I need you to know that this is, this is something that I'm chewing on also. But this passage, Psalm 133, it says this, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters can live together. Some translations say, add in unity, live together in unity. Like first, I want to point this at our houses before I speak to our spiritual families because without our houses functioning in the peace of Jesus, we have a lie outside of that. 
I know that firsthand. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters can live together in unity. It's like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, on his robes. Now, some of you gals might not know the joy of beardhood. It's actually kind of a pain in the neck, but... uh, Here's the thing, like when it talks about, when this scripture talks about the beard of Aaron and oil on it, he's talking about a priestly anointing. Every priest that walked in the, in the, in the temple came from Aaron. So to anoint Aaron's beard is to bless the priesthood. When brothers and sisters dwell in unity, it is a priestly anointing. It glorifies the king. And, it doesn't, and, and unity isn't predicated on getting it right. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. In other words, eternal life, the richness of eternal life. For there, the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. He says it. Eternal life looks like brothers and sisters in unity. But yet we allow ourselves to train ourselves up real hard in our own secret place and we completely miss out the other half of what Jesus said is the fulfillment of the law. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Deuteronomy 6.4. And then he quoted Leviticus 17. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. That is the whole of everything that Jesus said. There the Lord has appointed a blessing. Life forevermore. Let's pray. I, I went long and I kept you guys. Thank you for listening. But um, I love you too much not to say these things. And I need to hear it in the mirror, you know? So Jesus, we love you. Thank you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for coming to the earth to wear Torah. And then thank you for walking it out. For, being, for, for making yourself available to everything that we are available to and still walking it out perfectly so that we didn't have to. It is mercy. The mercy of you is new today. Your love is transformative in nature, Lord, so transform our hearts. Renew our minds by your love so that we might function from that same love, not as a pointed finger or a loud mouth. Jesus, open our eyes to the people that you are going to place in our lives this week. Praise you. Amen. You guys go in peace that, that, that is available to you.